gonna, it's not fill in the blank or anything like that. You can just write sort of under the headings, and this is the headings for my message as well. So use that for whatever notes you want. Dan doesn't have an insert. There's one right in that one, yep. Okay. It's in Acts, you're right. You can turn to Acts 1 if you'd like. If you want to get ahead of me, you can turn to Acts 1. So, as we as a church um, seek to build a church here, right, that is honoring to God, a church that is in line with His will, a church that... um, does what he expects. Um, I found myself more and more looking for good examples of that. We have a lot of really bad examples for that, right? I'm sure everybody can think of a time when this church maybe wasn't run as well. I'm not speaking of a particular time, but sometimes it's not run that well. And we see lots of other churches that aren't run that well. And it tends to um, give you a church filled with really shallow, in-depth Christians really selfish Christians because that's what they know. You, you entice them to come in with fun, 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 and then sometimes you miss helping them grow. Um, and as we do events together as leaders and we try to find God's direction, I really want to skip that stuff. You know, I, I feel like we've got another chance here to do it, to do it right, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, If we are in the business of chasing after Jesus when we're at church and when we're living for this church, then I don't think there's any reason to do it. Getting it wrong just seems like a waste of time. So today I'm going to bring us back to our roots. That's why we're in Acts 1. Everybody probably knows what's going on in Acts 1, right? The birth of the church, the very beginning. So this is the roots of of Jesus' ministry as he's handing it over to the disciples. Um, And so what we're going to talk about is sort of God's agenda for the church, which would be for our church, and how Satan usually opposes that. How does he react when a church is healthy, when a church is obedient? And um, the reason I want to do this today is, is because it's obvious in Acts, and it's obvious now, but oftentimes we, we don't know it. We don't see it going on around us. And if you know it, you can say, wait a minute, what's going on right now? What, why am I doing this right now? Why, what's happening? And you can look at what's actually going on. So God has a plan for this planet. Satan, who has already lost, has a reaction to that plan. He may have already lost, but he's taken as many of us with him as he can. That's his goal, to divide, conquer, kill, steal, destroy, And he wants to take as many of us and those around us to hell with him because he knows he's destroyed. He knows it's the end already for him. So if we have some basic understanding of both, hopefully we'll recognize it in ourselves. So if you haven't already, turn to Acts 1. And we're going to jump into God's word today and look at first God's plan and then Satan's response. Okay, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. 
after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you, know, for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After the, he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from, the, from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white beside them stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. You have seen him go into heaven. So we have the, this interesting picture of how Jesus ascends. This is Jesus leaving earth as a physical body. And the, some of the last thoughts that these disciples had was, are you going to set us back up? Is the Jewish nation going to come back right now? And are you going to give it power? And he's going to give us something uh, different. Would you, do we have to have the pictures up? Behind? Okay. Okay. I'll fix it later. Sorry, it just seemed like it was distracting. <clears throat> All right, so here we have Jesus after his resurrection, spending 40 days with his disciples. He's talking to them about the kingdom of heaven, uh, what it will be like, and he's teaching them. And these guys are pretty dependent on him. He's led them through this whole thing. And they are not looking forward to or don't know how to do this without him. Um. There's about 120 of them right now, 120 Jews. And these guys have the Old Testament way of thinking. Um, these are the scriptures that they know about, and they're still in that mindset. And to be honest, the Old Testament just sort of ended, right? Jesus came and fulfilled the Old Testament. Now they have to start thinking about it in a different way. And so they're still thinking that way, and they say, well, if it's time, are you going to bring back the Jewish nation? Are we going to come to power again? And Jesus says, you got to stop thinking that way. This isn't about the Jews. This isn't about Jerusalem anymore. This isn't about the temple anymore. This is about everybody. You're going to reach everybody. you got to go talk to everybody. So start thinking globally. So here's his plan for them. Wait where you are until the promise comes. What's the promise? Holy Spirit. They knew that it was coming. Jesus had talked to them about it. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Um, and now these probably guys are looking around and saying, sure, we're going to reach everybody in the whole world. There's 120 of us, and we've never done it without Jesus. There's 120 people, and we're going to reach the whole world. I don't see how that's going to happen. But 
if they thought this, they didn't get a chance to say it because Jesus starts to ascend right then. Right then, Jesus starts to float and then go up into the sky and the clouds are now in the way. You can't see him anymore. And so you have this large group of men and women, adults, with mouths open, staring up into the sky, silently probably, or a little in awe. And it takes two angels to come down and like say, guys, look. He says, hey, are you surprised that Jesus who has power over death is now ascending into heaven? Don't be surprised. Get moving. He's going to come back in the exact same way he just left and he gave you guys something to do. So it took some angels to like ground them again. These two men in white come and ground them again and say, it's time to move. He just told you what to do. It's time to move now. So these 120, um, they may not have believed that they could change the world, but fortunately for us, they did. These 120 may not have had the faith in themselves, but fortunately it wasn't going to be on them. The power that was going to come upon them is what was going to change them and change the world. And that's the Holy Spirit. And instead of Jesus being on earth with us now, we have the time of the church. And you and I in this church right now are living in that exact same time. We are in the church. We have the same command that Jesus, as he was leaving, gave to them. <clears throat> so let's read on. Let's go, let's go a little further and see what they do. So this is still Acts 1. And I'm going to read 12 through 26. And we're just going to look at how did these guys respond so that we can find out how maybe we should respond. So then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the upper room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, and his body burst open. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may this place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place in leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was among us. Beginning with, from John's baptism to this time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, or also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two men you, should, you would have chosen to take part of this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, 
So he was added to the 11 apostles. Okay. So there's a lot here, but just, just try to imagine what you'd be doing if Jesus had just left you and he said, stay in Jerusalem. And would you have, do you have the faith now to, to do what he said? So as far as scholars can tell, between Jesus' ascension and the Holy Spirit coming down, there's 10 days. So these guys are kind of waiting for 10 days. I'm sure that their faith was being tested waiting for 10 days. It must have seemed like, like an eternity for these guys who didn't know what to do. But for 10 days, they prayed together. And they sought after God. And they prayed a specific prayer and waited on the promise, which was the Holy Spirit. So while these guys are waiting, Peter gets a revelation from God. And it says, hey, you know what? While we're waiting, we just, we just fulfilled a prophecy. David prophesied that Judas was going to go die in that field, and he did. And then the rest of it goes on, and he must be replaced. So these guys went back to the Old Testament Scriptures and said, what's supposed to be going on right now? Where's our source of knowledge for what's supposed to be going on? And they went back to the Psalms and said, this is what's supposed to be going on. And so they went through the process of replacing Judas. They nominate two men who are qualified and let God decide. That's how they used to do it in the Old Testament. They cast lots or they took the short straw or whatever. And that's how they chose Matthias. All right, so this first part of, of, of Acts um, gives us this starting point for how God's going to treat the church. And the fact that they had to wait 10 days is important. God wasn't just making them wait 10 days just for the heck of it. It could have been Jesus ascends, Holy Spirit descends, and it's instantaneous. Those guys had to learn together how to become dependent on God. So they had 10 days to wait and become dependent. And Peter, who doesn't like to wait for anything, Peter, who likes to just cut people's ears off and stuff, Peter, who's very brash, is actually waiting and, and gets some revelation from the Lord. And he's going to get more revelation from the Lord. But he's being trained. We, should, we just want to remember that as we go through this. So we have three basic principles. I'll read them. Um, three basic principles that we can learn from this. One, we, just like they, are his disciples. We have his teachings. We actually have a more complete view of Scripture than they did. They didn't have everything written down yet. And we are to shine his light before all men. And this is for every Christian. There's nobody here who's off the hook. And in fact, everyone here is shining your light one way or the other. You're either shining your light brightly, you're either showing people what Christians should be like, how they should treat each other, how they should love each other, how they should treat those around them, or you're showing them the other side, which is usually something hypocritical. We don't do what we say we're going to do. We're judgmental. We think we're, we think we're better than everybody else. You're doing one of those too, but you're always shining a light. So we want to shine brightly for him. Number two, as the church, we need a deep understanding of prayer and its power. These men spent 10 straight days praying together. Do, all right. So if I asked you to do that today, if I asked everybody here to put down everything in your lives for the next 10 days, 
Because I believe that without it, we're not going to do what God's will is for us. Would everyone do that? What do you think your answer to be, would be to that? Are you forming excuses like I would be in your head right now? Couldn't possibly do it. Work is way crazy right now. I, there's no way I could spend 10 days praying with you guys. Right? We come up with excuses right away because we have this idea that what's on earth is more important. Can somebody here actually come up with something that would be more important than the body of Christ in unity, praying for 10 straight days? What do you think is going to bring out more fruit? Us leaving here or coming together and praying for 10 days together? I bet you something would come out of 10 days of us praying together. I know nobody wants to make eye contact with me because you're all afraid I'm going to actually ask this. I'm not going to ask it today. But can you imagine what that would be like? That's what these men did. They prayed together for 10 days. Um, nothing would be more important than that, though. If that's what we felt like God was calling us to do, we better do it. It's sin not to. If that's what we were being called to do, we better do it. Number three, as the church, we need a deep understanding of God's word. Um, like I said before, Peter probably felt pretty frustrated waiting around. But because he did what God said, God revealed something awesome to him. These men literally were fulfilling a prophecy that they could see written down. They knew that God had said this was going to happen and that then this was going to happen. And they got to be a part of that. You think that had an effect on those men? Can you imagine if something was, if something was foretold a thousand years ago and you knew about it, you saw it happen, and then you got to partake in the next part? What, would that, what effect would that have on your heart? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. But I'll tell you what, we're not living in that different of a place. We're seeing his prophecies come true. We may not be the ones living it out, but you can see them coming true in our lives, in our, in our world today. Um, and yet, we often look around like we don't have a clue what's going on. I'm guilty of this too. This early church is giving us an example. God's word has the power to make your paths straight. So these are simple truths, right? These are pretty simple. Everybody in this room knows about these, I hope. And there's a difference, though, between understanding them and doing them. Because this is the way that God set it up so that when Satan responds to you, you are then able to continue on. How many times has Satan responded to us and we get crushed? Satan responds and we get distracted. Satan responds and we lose people for 25 years. Because if you don't have this foundation of unity of the church, prayer and his word, those three things, he's going to bowl over you. He may be destroyed, but your, your power is not the one that's destroying him. You've got to be seeking the power. So um, turn with me now to Acts 6. We're going to get the other side of this. And while you're turning, I'm going to give you the context because we are skipping forward in time. But we get to do that. These guys didn't get to do that. They were 120. They didn't know what was going to happen. So here's the context. Um, in just four chapters, the church has gone from, 80, 000, from 120 to 80,000. We're talking about in a matter of days here. 80,000. Can you imagine the amount of change that was going on in that church every single day? I'm not just talking about converts. What happens when you have more and more and more and more people in church? Do you have less and less and less and less needs? 
No, you have more and more and more and more needs, right? Same needs. Bigger amount of those needs. There might be two people here who are really financially strapped today, but when you went to 80,000, then you've got 1,000 or 2,000 that didn't have money. And these people are trying to seek after Jesus, and Jesus said, take care of each other. Sell what you have if you have to, to take care of each other. So, but just think about that upheaval in such a short period of time. 120 to 80,000. Um, so there are families in need. There are widows in need. Th- that culture, you know, widows had to be taken care of in a certain way because there was nothing else set up for them. Um, so every week the disciples, and this was supposedly on Fridays, every week the disciples went to all the Christians that they could who have stuff. And they took money, they took donations of food, they took whatever they could get, and then they distributed it out. And that was a week's worth for each person that needed it. So if a widow came, they gave them a week's worth of money or a week's worth of food. Um, and they would distribute it, right? So remember one part two here. The church is completely within Judaism still. These are all Jews. It hasn't gone out of Jerusalem yet. This is all Jewish people or people who convert to Judaism. So there's three types of Jews right now. We're going to see them in the text, which is why I'm telling you about them. There's Hellenistic Jews. These are the Greeks. These are people outside of Jerusalem who speak Greek, who have taken on the Greek culture. And then you have the Hebraic Jews, the ones who live in Jerusalem. They're the ones who think they're the best. We're the closest to the center. We're the ones who follow the rules the best. Those two groups of Christians, and then the third group is the Jews who don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They're actively fighting against this Christian movement. So you've got three, three sets of Jews that are arguing over some stuff. All right. So in some cases, you have worship services in Greek and in Hebrew. They're not even worshiping together necessarily because they can't speak to each other. So you, you, got, you got some stuff here. There's only one church right now. There's, it's not like there's a church on every corner for every single thing you can imagine. There's one church. They're dealing with all of this within one church. So let's get into the text and see what happens. So this is Acts 6, and I'm going to read 1 through 7. Okay. In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of, of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem grew rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so here's the situation again. These two groups are arguing. You Hebraic Jews, you're the ones getting all the food. Your, your widows are getting fed. Ours are not. And um, the disciples 
respond with, how dare you talk to us that way, right? You can't question us. We're the apostles. We do what we want. Is that how they answered? No, that's not how they answered. Have you ever heard somebody in church sort of answer like that when they get questioned? I have. If the apostles didn't do it, I challenge you not to do it either. If you start to feel a little bit of that, because this is the point, if you start to feel a little bit attacked or you start to feel a little bit like your pride is being questioned, that's Satan cracking that door open. All of the division, all the big divisions that happened started with that crack that he's trying to open. And this is them, they're opening it right here. Let's see how the apostles respond to that opening. Um, they say, um, you know, we can't do all of this. And they have a point. We are trying to minister to 80,000 people and we can't wait more tables. Who can we bring in? Who can we bring in to help us? All of these names of the men that they brought in were Greek names. Can you see why that's a good decision? Well, that's a wise decision. They brought in some of their own to take it over for everybody. So everybody was happy. So they, they swallowed their pride a little bit and said, you know what, you're right. Well, you're right, we can't do it all. We're going to delegate that out. So um, here we have, instead of Satan getting a foothold, they're pushing back on it. Um, so in order for that, that crack to open, did, did Satan have to possess anybody? When we think of Satan and his activity, we think of these horrible scenes from movies, right? Where someone's possessed and their, their head's turning around and all that stuff. How often does that actually happen? I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I do believe that it happens. But how often does that actually happen? Sorry, I've got to switch this if I'm going to have this work. And a Medicare Advantage prescription drug plans. Welcome to your Medicare, your decision. There we go. Um, it doesn't. He doesn't have to. Why, so why doesn't Satan have to do that kind of stuff? Because we've got this built-in sin, this built-in pride, and he's more than willing to look at you globally and say, I don't have to mess with those guys. They're destroying themselves. Go ahead, you crack that door open for me, and I'll cause that division. He wants to divide you. He wants your relationships to be destroyed. He wants your marriages to be destroyed. He wants the church to be destroyed. So he's more likely to say, go ahead, start arguing a little bit. Your pride's a little, you know, you're a little upset with each other. Now I'm going to step in and really divide you. <clears throat> so when you start feeling defensive and offended in church, let's see if this will work. When you start feeling a little defensive in church, <laughs> Satan's starting to giggle a little bit. Satan's starting to think that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, you guys get offended. I'll leave you guys alone. You guys will do whatever. You know, your church will split. People will go all over the place. So Satan's starting to get a little giggle. The disciples shut that down, though. They made a good decision. They swallowed some pride, and they made a different choice. And what was the outcome? This is the main thing. Let's read verse 7 one more time. The outcome was, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of even priests became obedient to the faith. These priests were some of the hardest to reach 
And they were becoming obedient because of the way these guys work together. All right, let's move on. We're going to start at verse 8, and we're going to finish off here. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the synagogues um, and from the freedmen, as it was called. Now Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men, we have Stephen, to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So you've got Stephen who's pretty much literally on fire for Christ right now. When you looked at him, his face looked like the face of an angel. Nobody could argue with him. Every time you argued with him, he brought you to an Old Testament scripture and says, doesn't it say that? Doesn't it say that? Doesn't it say that? He's trying to change how they're thinking. Yes, we had a temple before. Now you're the temple. Now we're the, the body is the temple. Yes, you know, we had sacrifice before. Yes, but Jesus fulfilled all that. We've got to change how we're thinking. And these guys do not like that. This group, is, this group is different. This group has power that they're losing. They're getting ticked off because they're losing their power. So they find another way. And again, there's division among the Jews. And um, <laughs> Satan's getting excited again. Satan's starting to laugh at these guys again. Let's see what happens. They're going to bring false witnesses against um, Stephen. And we're going to talk more about what Stephen does actually in, in two weeks when I speak again. All right, so our enemy, the devil, is seeking to destroy us. Never lose sight of that. He wants you to be destroyed. He wants the church to be destroyed. So when you start to feel yourself resenting, when you start to feel your pride hurt, when you start to feel like you're going to pass some blame around this place, I want you to hear this every time. And think, <laughs> Satan's laughing at you. Satan's laughing at you. He thinks, look at how foolish they are. They're, they don't realize that they're coming from victory side. They give it up so easy. They've got the victory and they don't know how to use it. He's laughing at us. So when you pick a fight with your friend or your spouse over the dumbest, the dumbest thing ever, hear it again. He's laughing at you. He keeps <laughs> laughing at you. When you start to gossip and bring other people's names around you down, he's laughing at you. So here's the point. Whenever any of that starts to happen, I want you to, I want you to hear that laugh. I didn't use that sinister of a laugh, but it, you know, because I don't want to give him that much credit. I don't want to give him that much power here today. But when any of that starts to happen, I want you to hear that laugh and think, you know what? He's laughing at my light. He's laughing at what I'm supposed to be doing for God. What's really going on here? What am I really upset about? Get back to going to each other and forgiving each other. 
become unified. So we're going to close with a prayer. And this is actually not my prayer. This is from John 17. You can look it up later, but I want you to bow your heads close your eyes for this. And this is Jesus' prayer. And this is Jesus praying not just for the disciples, but then he's going to pray for us. And listen to his words. Listen to where his heart is. He starts off by saying to his Father, and let's pray, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the word has I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they do not know, <clears throat> for they are not part of the world anymore, just like I. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. But my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you, even as you loved me. Amen. Thank you, guys. I pray, that, I, pray that, I pray that for us, that we'll be a unified church and that we'll be able to combat whatever Satan has for us. So you're dismissed if we're going to go downstairs for the cake and the ice cream.